This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Gavin Esler. One of the founding fathers of American democracy, Thomas Jefferson, is credited with an observation that applies to all democracies and all free and fair elections. We do not have government by the majority. We have government by the majority who participate, Jefferson said. But what if in the world of artificial intelligence, social media, and, as Donald Trump's spokesperson once put it, alternative facts. Voters are misled or confused, not merely by the promises of homegrown politicians, but by manipulation and dirty tricks from foreign governments. How far can elections be manipulated by outside interests? It's an urgent question since 2024 is a year of dozens of elections worldwide, from Brazil to Taiwan, India and the United Kingdom to the United States. Stories of foreign interference in the 2016 Brexit vote in Britain are legion. The same is true of the 2016 US presidential election. Will Vladimir Putin, the Kremlin, and Russia's skilled creators of Russian state desinformatia, disinformation, try their luck in this November's contest, likely between Joe Biden and Donald Trump? Joining us from Washington, D.C. is Joseph Webster. He's a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, editor of the China-Russia Report, and author of a provocative article on election rigging in a recent edition of The Diplomat. Joseph, welcome to The Bunker. Thank you, Gavin. Wonderful to be here today. What is the degree of Russian interest? And then what is the degree of Russian involvement? Because obviously it matters to Vladimir Putin, who's in the White House, for so many obvious reasons, including what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah. So as, as you mentioned, the the two candidates for the, the two major party candidates for the United States election are not yet solidified. But that being said, we, we have a very reasonable expectation that it'll be for better or for worse, we're getting a rematch most likely between uh, Donald Trump and President Biden. The Kremlin is certainly interested in the election. A lot's at stake for them. So the United States is uh, it's the world's largest economy. It's very important for the energy transition. It's also uh, what you know what the, what the what the Soviets and the Russian uh, security services would call the main adversary of Russia. And so this is a it's a hugely important election for for Russian interest. Again, it's it's relatively early days, but you can you can make to some degree you can make the argument that the war in Ukraine, uh, the invasion of Ukraine, was launched in part to diminish uh, living standards across the West and to harm the performance legitimacy of constitutional democracies. And so, government systems tend to secure political support one in one of three ways. 
that's either through repression, through ideology, or performance. And so, you know, constitutional democracies do not do not under you know do not undertake repression in order to secure political support. That's just not something that we do. Ideology. So, you know, the ideology of constitutional democracies is that, that all people create equal. You know, regardless of who you are, you enjoy certain. You should you are entitled to certain fundamental rights. And so that's appealing to a lot of people, but not necessarily everyone. The third part is that performance is very important for legitimating constitutional democracy. So having living standards improve over time, uh, you know, you, you can have a reasonable expectation that your children will enjoy a better life, given that, you know, performance is a very important part of constitutional democracies. It, anything that the Kremlin can do to reduce economic performance or just performance in general will help shift the election. And so what, what the Kremlin has, has thought has thought to do in, uh, in, you know, with the war in Ukraine and with other actions is reduce living standards, all things being equal across the West. Specifically looking at the November 2024 elections, it's very likely that the Kremlin will once again seek to the, the Kremlin has very few economic levers. It's a, it's a very small economy. It is able, however, to impact oil markets. And anything that, that Russia can do to lower or increase prices has a big impact um, on U.S. elections. And so that's that's kind of the, the mechanism by which Russia seeks to shape the 2024 presidential election is by raising gasoline prices uh, ahead of November and reducing the performance legitimacy of, of, uh, of Biden and boosting their preferred candidate, who is uh, Donald Trump. What the Kremlin has done previously is either raise production, raise oil production or lower oil production um, in tandem with other oil producers in order to in order to benefit Trump politically. And so that's happened in through the past four elections. So in 2016 and 2018, as well as in 2022, Russia, along with other oil producers in OPEC in a grouping called OPEC Plus, either raised production, oil production or lowered it right before the elections. And so... In 2016, for instance, uh, Russia, along with other, you know, OPEC Plus, which includes Russia, lowered oil production, which raised gasoline prices for consumers. Uh, 2018, the exact opposite happened when Trump was president. Russia increased production, along with other producers, increased oil production, which lowered prices. And in 2022, I think very famously and very overtly, uh, Russia, along with other oil producing countries, cut production despite a seeming lack of economic rationale for doing so. And so the 2022 production cut is worth talking about a little bit because that actually might have been decisive in terms of in terms of shaping the outcome of the US uh, of the US elections. And so the US House of Representatives was a very close contest. The Democratic Party lost by about five by, by five seats. And so was, if there was a shift a uniform shift of about 0.7%, in either direction, or sorry, towards towards the Democrats, which is you know President Biden's party, you would have had a different control of the of the House of Representatives. And if that was the case, you might have seen more progress on on clean energy legislation, such as permitting reform and such like. And so it's it's hard to say whether or not the oil production cut was decisive. Uh, we we don't know. There's lots of other elements here. Um, you know, a lot of folks point to other causes for for the Democrats' loss in the 2022 election. For instance, the uh, the Democrats lost lots of seats. They lost lots of seats in both California and New York, um, in part due to decisions made by those uh, by those state parties. And so, there's lots of different elements at play. What I think is true is that multiple things can be true at the same time. So, you know, you could have had these these New York part, these New York losses by the Democrats could have been caused by local factors, um, but at the same time, higher gasoline prices could have been a contributing factor to that. 
gasoline prices are very important for for U.S. consumers. So the U.S. consumed about consumes every day about 370 million gallons of uh, finished motor gasoline, or what is referred to in the U.S. or sorry in the U.K. as uh, petrol. And so with the U.S. population of about 340 million, that means that every single American, that's man, woman, child, uh, consumes over a gallon of gasoline a day on average. And so to put that in context for uh, for some of our listeners, that's about four liters of petrol consumption every day um, in the United States. And that's per person, man, woman, child. And that does not include diesel. This is just petrol. U.K. consumers are consuming less than a half of what U.S. of U.S. consumes of petrol every day. And so... You know, when you look at, so, you know, tying this all back to what, what Russia, how Russia is seeking to influence elections, gasoline prices are a major political determinant in U.S. elections. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And I think there are some other um, more overt uh, things that have been going on. For instance, I noticed that uh, last month, the New York Times reported that, I'm quoting here, in 2022, US intelligence report found that Russia attempted to denigrate the Democrats, including by amplifying al- allegations of corruption by Mr. Biden's family, in large measure because of his administration's support for Ukraine. So there's the, there's the economic dealings, which affect every household in the United States, as you clearly said. But there's also other kind of slimy stuff going on in the background, talking about the Biden family and so on, which all of which I presume we can expect that kind of stuff again this year. So the dif- disinformation aspect is a little bit difficult to track. I'm just speaking for myself here. I, I don't, you know, I don't have access to that that information about what what sort of levers of disinformation Russia is using. But that being said, you know, we we realized that in 2016 Russia was very involved with with disinformation efforts. They were that was something that they were uh, that was certainly something that they were were pursuing. I can't really speak to how how significant those impacts will be. I mean, frankly, in the United States and and in, in the United Kingdom and other democracies around the world, we also have our our call we'll call it a you know homegrown disinformation where, you know, it's not just the Russians doing it. There's lots of Americans, frankly, who are engaged in disinformation or, uh, or amplifying certain, certain areas, which are not necessarily rooted in facts. And so, you know, Russia will likely again, attempt to amplify that disinformation, but a lot of, a lot of the disinformation is, is just homegrown, uh, here in the United States. Um, you know, there was, (laughs) there was recently a, uh, I think a, a news segment on one of our networks about, is, uh, is, is Taylor Swift a Pentagon asset? And so that's not caused by the Russians. That's just something that the U.S. Uh, you know, U.S. actors are doing by themselves. Um, you know, the Kremlin did not invent lying and deceit. And, you know, the U.S. people in the U.S. will continue to engage in that, unfortunately. 
Well, I'm one of those who wishes Taylor Swift was running for the presidency, but we can have another, <laughs> that's another matter. Uh, can, more seriously, can I put a quote to you from the US Department of Justice during the period Donald Trump was, was president? Uh, it's a slightly long quote, but it gives us a sense of the background here from officials so they know this is going on. Quote, on July the 13th, 2018, a federal grand jury sitting in the District of Columbia returned an indictment against 12 Russian military intelligence officers for their alleged roles in interfering with the 2016 U.S. elections. And it goes into the details about computer hacking, conspiracy involving gaining un unauthorized access, and so on. So this is, this is officials. This is the Department of Justice when Trump was president saying this went on in 2016. So we would be utterly naive to think that stuff like this is not possible and is not at least in the thoughts of some people in the Kremlin in 2024. There's very strong documented evidence about about Russia seeking to interfere in the 2016 election through various methods. Um, I've talked a little bit about the economic levers because that's that's very overt. But as you mentioned too, there's you know the U.S. Justice Department has has issued lots of indictments against against figures associated with the Russian government because of their efforts in seeking to uh, interfere in U.S. elections via disinformation via other outlets. And you're right that disinformation campaign. That you know, those efforts by the Russian state and by figures associated with the Russian state will almost certainly persist into 2024. And it's worth, you know, it's it's worth noting that some of these efforts are not necessarily directed by the Kremlin, but folks in the Kremlin orbit undertake these efforts because they believe that that's what that's what Vladimir Putin wants them to do. And uh, you know, our, our good friend Yevgeny Prigozhin was actually first came on the scene in 2016. Uh, you know, in in the U.S. eyes, he first came on the scene in 2016. Uh, in part because of his his activities with the Internet Research Agency. Things did not work out so well for Prigozhin in the end. Whether or not he was formally tasked with interfering in the election, he he undertook these activities, uh, in, you know, he undertook those activities in order to uh, secure favor with, with the Kremlin. And so you're very likely to see that again going forward is that you're very likely to see this uh, this sort of quasi-formal, perhaps even formal um, activities from the Kremlin and from other Russian actors who are seeking to influence U.S. elections. And uh, I, as you know, German intelligence said that in 2005, there was some interference from Russia in their election uh, on behalf of, or worked out on behalf of Gerhard Schröder, apparently. So um, I just wondered where we are then. What what does Russia get out of a Trump presidency that it wouldn't get out of a Biden presidency? I, I suppose I'm asking, why do they care? Why do they want Trump? Yeah, so there's there's lots of reasons um, for that. I, I think you can break down to four rationale for why. The first is that it's likely to lead to chaos in the United States. Uh, you know, Trump has significant legal cases against him. It, it, even the candidacy is likely to spark a constitutional crisis. But if Trump secures the presidency, we're likely to, it's, it, the United States will face, uh, I would argue, and again, these are just my own personal opinions, I would argue that the United States would face a severe, severe constitutional crisis like we've never seen in anyone's lifetime. The Russian government looks at the United States as its main adversary. And so any sort of internal chaos in the United States reduces the amount of attention that, that Washington can place on, on Moscow. Um, the second is a breakdown, if not if not a collapse in the alliance of constitutional democracies. And so that especially includes NATO. NATO obviously was formed uh, to oppose the, oppose the Soviet Union, to keep the Soviet Union out of Europe. And even though, you know, we, we've since there, there is no longer the Soviet Union, Russia is, is clearly a very aggressive state. And so any sort of diminution or splintering of the NATO alliance would have major geopolitical benefits for, uh, for Russia. 
The third element is that the United States under Trump would likely substantially reduce its military, political, and technical support for Ukraine. And so even though European countries such as, uh, you know, such as the United Kingdom and others have been very helpful in terms of providing economic assistance to Ukraine and often military assistance, um, the U.S. has really been, the, frankly, the most important country in terms of providing assistance. I mean, it's just, you know, the U.S. is the largest economy. Uh, we, you know, we have the world's largest military. And so uh, the United States is providing very substantial, I believe it's about 43%, if I have my numbers correct, of the military aid in, in budget terms. It's also providing substantial intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance assistance uh, to Ukraine. It's also providing a lot of the artillery support uh, or you know artillery shells uh, for Ukraine. And so if the U.S. were to substantially pull back on support for Ukraine, the consequences on the battlefield could be catastrophic. The potential benefits of a Trump presidency are very large for the Kremlin. And then finally, the the fourth pillar is that if Trump is elected president, then Russia will likely garner significant economic benefits. So that could occur in all sorts of different ways. That could occur in the relax, relaxation of sanctions against Russia directly. Most of the benefits will actually be indirect for Russia. So Trump will likely slow the energy transition. You know, he's very opposed to electric vehicles, which directly compete with Russia's uh, oil exports. Trump will likely seek to strengthen sanctions against both Venezuela and Iran and their crude oil exports, which directly compete with Russia's crude oil exports. And so, you know, a Trump presidency would likely have significant economic, actually, frankly, would likely have substantial economic benefits for, for Russia. Let me conclude then with uh, drawing a, a difference, perhaps, between the voters in Taiwan and the voters in the United States. The voters in Taiwan are very clear, I would suggest to you, about what the potential threat is from China, and they may and may, may vote accordingly. Are voters in the United States as up to speed with this, or is this the question of disinformation and interference not an issue or even dismissed by some as a typical conspiracy theory to stop Donald Trump being elected? I would agree with you that the Taiwan's voters are very sensitive to, you know, to developments which are taking place outside of the island. And the United States, is a, is a, it's a continental nation. It's a very insular nation. It's very inward focused, frankly. And so, yes, I agree that, you know, your typical voter in the United States does not think about what's happening outside the United States as much as, say, voters in Taiwan think about what's happening outside of the island. I, I completely agree with that. I think that United States voters are, are are just a little bit more insular than than perhaps other places, and we're just not as focused on disinformation. And there, there, we have a high degree of polarization in the United States. We're not unique in that, but at this point, you know, folks are are very our media ecosystem is very siloed in a lot of ways. And so people are willing to accept disinformation very readily or dismiss true information as disinformation. So it's a, it's a, it's quite a toxic brew. Um, but that's where we are. Well, good luck with it, Joseph. Thank you very much. Joseph Webster there. Thank you. And if you enjoy The Bunker, remember you can back us on Patreon. From as little as £3 a month, you'll get every episode ad-free and early. Search Bunker Patreon podcast or follow the link in the show notes to sign up. I'm Gavin Esler. Thanks for listening to The Bunker. Daily was presented by Gavin Esler. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The managing editor was Jacob Jarvis. The producers were Eliza Davis Beard and me, Alex Reese. Art direction by James Parrott. Music by Kenny Dickinson. 
the bunker is a podmasters production. Mm-hmm.